Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Welcome to another episode of the Business of NIL. My name is Ahmed Alhuli, and today we have a very special guest with us, Miss Chelsea Sweetos. I mean, Chelsea's got a very interesting background. She was actually a former national team softball athlete, played, represented the Philippines. She had a background as a Division One student athlete, so she's definitely got a ton to share with us. Let's bring her on. Here we go. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? Very well, thank you. How's things? Good. I'm good. A lot. Busy, busy day today. Fantastic. Good to hear. I think um, crazy times at at the moment uh, for all of us. Chelsea, um, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. I did a brief intro about you just before you joined, but I think there's um, there's a lot more that you can tell us yourself. So I'm going to hand it over to you and you can tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Yeah. So my background, I was a division one athlete. I played softball at the University of Arizona. Uh, you know, from there, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Ended up getting a, a job offer at Nike corporate. So I've had over six years of experience in the corporate world at Nike. And really at that same time, the sport of softball was growing. And it was at that point in time, I had the opportunity to represent the Philippines. I do have dual citizenship. And it was in that point in time where you know, I really started inside the walls of Nike, starting to light this fire in regards to how do we support women's sports? And so it's always been a big passion of mine. You know, they say an athlete has two deaths. And the first one is the death of your career, your eligibility. And the second one is your actual human death. And as I heard that quote, I started thinking back on it of my final game in my uniform as a college athlete. And I remember just holding on to my jersey and it was covered in dirt and I'm sitting there crying. And it almost felt like this movie of when, you know, a significant other dies, they go to the closet, they're holding their clothing because that's all that's left of them. And it was really that pivotal moment for me that, you know, made me realize that there's a lot of work to be done in the women's sports space. And it's not just going to be on the individual athletes. It's going to be on the institutions, the organizations, the businesses, the TV networks, media in general and on the ally side of it. And so, you know, Players Collective was truly born in the pandemic and we're female founded by three former female athletes. So we have a legal arm, we have myself that does all branding and partnerships. And then we have another partner of our business that does everything from events and operations. And so really when we started, it was on that same mission of creating a level playing field for all athletes. And we do find ourselves in the niche space. We do find ourselves uh, being more tailored towards female athletes because our experiences actually allow us to empathize with what they're going through. And they're the ones that are in this critical need of help 
to, to manage this process for everything of name, image, and likeness, whether they're in the collegiate space or the professional space. Awesome. Um, uh, Chelsea, take me a bit into the whole, what's it like for a female at the pro level? And then we can come down into the um, collegiate space, going out, trying to bring on brands, partnerships, for right. a long time, female sports was really neglected in terms of the in terms of the big media outlets co covering it. Even though today we're seeing a lot more eyes because they're actually getting the opportunity. So tell us a bit about that process and what you guys have seen in the past. Right. Yeah. So it's tough. So for example, let's look at just North America in general. Let's look at women's soccer. We know that women's soccer is on the rise. We're also, which I'm very excited about, it, we're seeing allyship from the male athlete side. Patrick Mahomes is a great example. Buying these women's sports teams for NWSL. And what that's allowing to do is it's signaling to the rest of the world, these male athletes that are the best at what they do are also partnering and believe in women's sports because women's sports, in my opinion, is the biggest untapped opportunity and where people enjoy their, to get some of their entertainment. Um, so, but if you look at NWSL, which is our women's professional league in the United States, take out the national team and Olympic athletes for the rest of the women there, you have a pay ceiling of a salary of $40,000, a pay ceiling of $40,000, the most you can make. That's just above poverty. Okay, so if you think about the experience of a professional soccer player, that's earning those salaries, it's not gonna cover you for a year. So you have to find other ways to monetize and make a living. It could be through camps and clinics. As some of them were doing barista jobs who I talked to, it's tough. Yet it sounds sexy because they're a professional athlete, yet the reality paints quite a different picture. Now, if you look at major league soccer, so pay ceiling of 40,000 for a female athlete. There is a baseline pay for the worst player in men's major league soccer of 62,000. You've got a delta of 22 grand between the best and the worst between genders. That's a problem. If you look at women's basketball, WNBA, you're seeing these men, you know, not even have to finish the rest of their eligibility. They're leaving after their freshman year. They immediately sign. They're making multi-million dollar contracts. Although the WNBA, I'm excited about the growth, there's still work to be done. And just huge shout out to, you know, the Nike teams, to, to the commissioner and everybody else involved to help bring that up. But you still have to realize that these professional athletes are an entertainment business. How do you do an entertainment business? You have to be on the court. People go to watch LeBron. People also go to watch Brianna Stewart. Well, when Brianna Stewart was done with her season, what does LeBron do? he ends up going home and being able to take a vacation. What does she have to do? Well, she's not covered under insurance. She's also not uh, making as much as the guys. So they have to still make ends meet and they're going overseas. So they don't have time to rest and recover. They get injured. And again, how can you make money in the entertainment business if you can't play because you're injured because you don't have the means, the basic means as a professional athlete. Now, the biggest issue is where we get into baseball and softball. Now, baseball, Major League Baseball, is the only sport that doesn't have a salary cap. And these guys are making multiple millions of dollars. Now, if you look at the Women's Professional League and softball, let me backtrack. Before you even get there, let's talk collegiate softball. 
Collegiate Softball has now been on every ESPN platform. They've also been on ABC for the first time this year. You're seeing these viewership rates on a base of a million unique viewers outpace every other sport. This last year for the Women's College World Series, which was the, the Elite Eight for softball, the most viewed game had 2.1 unique million viewers. What that means is you also have postseason NBA basketball going on at the same time. That viewership also outpaces some of the games that were being played at the same exact time. So why do I say this? There's an opportunity, but once these athletes peak, there's no professional realm for them because it hasn't been that stable for people to invest in it. So it's great in college, but not in the pro league. So back to your question, what are they making? Well, there are different leagues that are offering other things, but I will tell you it's still, for the most part, below minimum wage. So we've seen offensive contracts out there that I can't disclose the exact numbers, but I will say they're, in, they're only four digits. Wow. And how can you expect somebody that's the best at their craft to be able to live on that and okay. be happy with that? All right. Let me ask you this. Why? Why are, they, why are they not offered the money that they deserve? I mean, there's so many factors that go into this. Is One, you have to have a product. You have to have a product and a brand to build something. I think that there's been proof in the pudding of what's been able to happen when we talk about it, the collegiate space. But again, a lot of that money is coming from the institutions and the brand partnerships that go along with it that allow, and Title IX, that keep these athletes, these female athletes in sports. If we didn't have, have those things, I would say world of men's basketball and football. Um, but as we look to the professional side, what we need is we need a, again, like I said, the industries. So you need uh, the, the networks to understand um, and actually get behind producing this type of content. Well, they can only produce content if there's teams, meaning you have to have organizations or uh, owners come in and set the foundation to be able to buy those teams so that the players have the opportunities. You also need facilities. So who's going to pay for that? I think that's where we found ourselves is that, you know, softball started later than baseball. And we also had the, the juxtaposition of men's sports having uh, more opportunities first, but now we're starting to make up some of that path. So again, like I said, it's multifaceted. If we had the answers, it would already be done, but it's got to be the networks. It's got to be people that are willing to invest and fund it. The players got to continue doing what they do. And over time, that consistency and that perseverance is what's going to help form a solid foundation for women's professional sports. Okay. I'm, I, I have to ask this question because I see it being thrown around a lot, right? So yeah. in the men's game, we're seeing there's a return on investment, right? So there's huge money put in, but there's huge money generated as well. Do you think if given the same uh, platform, do you think the money is there? Do you think maybe that's why the investment isn't there? What do you think is the case? Like, uh, would they really put a blind eye to something that's going to make them billions of dollars? Right. Well, you have to have a, a product first. And that starts with somebody saying, hey, I want to create this league. There's a league out there called Athletes Unlimited that's done a very, very good job at doing this for women's sports. But also, it's, it's only five to six weeks. So again, a lot of these leagues span multiple of months. So, you know, I don't have all the answers or else I probably would have already done it. And I'm not saying only my point of view is the right point of view. But what I'm saying is, is that 
you have to have a strategic team come together and run it like a business, not like a passion. And the passion can also fuel the business, but there needs to be a business plan in place. Is it something that is done with prize money like the LPGA and PGA Tour does? Is it something that you actually have teams in key cities where they actually play each other? Um, is it something where it's tournament based? We don't really know those answers to it yet, but you have to build a strategy to then be a product for you to pitch to these investors to really get behind. And I think that's the part that we haven't had is in the past, again, like many sports, you have an owner and the owner calls all the shots. And that can be a benefit, but also it could be a detriment to the athletes or the ones living it and experiencing it. And so what we've seen in the past is owners say, hey, here's, you know, X amount of dollars, do something with it. But then what's missing is the business plan, the sustainability. And when you don't have that business plan to pitch to investors, you also don't have a, part, uh, a product to be able to pitch to other brand partnerships because that's where you're going to start feeling this money and feeling eyes and marketing dollars to the leagues, which is also going to help grow it. So it's tough when you say pay these women what they're worth because, yes, they are worth it, but they haven't had a sustainable league model put together by people that are savvy enough in the business space to be able to execute it. Uh Absolutely. And I think what we've seen this year, especially with the softball numbers on, on ESPN and uh, other sports, I think we're definitely going to see a further investment in in uh, women's sports because there's almost a saturation on the male side. So now the, the league, the teams, all the growth now is going to be in women's sport, which should have happened many years ago. But right. Yeah, so I, in, 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 in my personal opinion, I think things are on the up from here. Um, and I think we're going to start to see that because the only thing keeping these live, uh, the network's live t TV uh, alive is sport. So they're always after the inventory and, and, and the actual content. So I think th there's definitely good, very, very good news ahead. Um, moving on. So we said that the biggest challenge for, for athletes, female athletes, is the infrastructure really to be able to compete and then do more and more, not right. compete and then compete more and then compete and keep competing just to basically survive. Um, in terms of marketing and branding and partnerships, are there any other challenges that, that you guys identify from your experiences with these female athletes? that our student athletes can learn from, our pro female athletes can learn from? Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing, especially for female athletes, like you said, women, and is that women spend 51 cents on the dollar. Women make up a majority of our population. But at the same time, uh, when it comes to these female athletes, this is all new to them. So if I'm giving advice to any of these female athletes, one, know your worth, okay? You have to know that, know your brand, know your worth. The second thing would be, it's okay to walk away and it's okay to say no to a deal. Because what's happening is as we're on this, this beginning stage of this explosion of women's sports, you have to realize that we gotta play the long game here. If we are not playing the long game, what's gonna happen is these girls are, and young women have the potential to water down their brand just by associating with anybody and everybody. So really the number one piece of advice that we give to our athletes is be authentic 
and be you. Build time building your brand. Don't be a cheap firework. And the second part of that is you got to be authentic and it's okay to say no. And that's the hardest thing to do. If you think about women's sports, because we have been groomed our entire lives to say, hey, be grateful for what you have. Be happy to be there. And you know what? Everybody should be grateful for what they have agnostic of gender. Okay, let's just set that straight. But also beyond that, we have worked so hard for this. It's that time where you start to know your value and just play the long game. Absolutely. How do you see things unfolding moving forward? You, sorry, I missed the question. How do I see things unfolding with NIL? Is that what you were asking? Yeah, moving forward. Yeah, so NIL, it's, it's going to be, uh, my prediction personally, it's going to be a few years before things start getting streamlined and people start getting really savvy with it. Um, I think that there's going to be some big deals that have already happened that will continue to happen and athletes will be able to, to potentially make this a career. Uh, if you think about it, the creator market will reach over $30 billion. It's not an if, but it's a when. Um, we know that there's social media uh, platforms, Instagram included, that are also having paid incentives for creators on the platform. So that means you're going to see the ecosystem of jobs and careers change. So you're going to see these athletes take more serious their social media. Um, I think there will also be some cases where social media that will be used to build their brand, it also has the potential to, to water down and or hurt their brand if they're not careful in regards to who they associate with. So our biggest thing for athletes is when you're thinking about a brand partnership, ask yourself, well, do your research for one on the company, who they're associated with, but also you have to realize that whoever you're associating yourself with, that sets an expectation to others. So there's that saying, right, that goes something like, um, surround your, the five people you surround yourself with are, um, should be a good, um, what is it, reflection of you and what you believe in. So we say the same thing should go for the brands. And again, if you don't believe in the brand and what they do, don't be transactional. Get rid of it. Um, so. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, Chelsea, where I absolutely agree with you on NIL, and, uh, and, and, and the advice that you have just given, do you see an extra life for athletes that don't, that, that don't make the pros if they, if they really understand and learn how to make the most of their brand during their collegiate journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what has happened? So we talked about the gender disparities between sports. Now, what's, whether there is a pro league or not, what social media and all the tools that we have and the accessibility we have to create our brands and to tell our stories, it levels the playing field. If you have a phone and you have some sort of internet connection, truly it's on you. I think, and that's part of, it's on the athletes to truly do the work to build their brand. And it's this little cell phone device that you and I are on that's gonna be able to change the future for these, these athletes, for everyone, quite frankly. Absolutely. Chelsea, thank you very much. You've been absolutely amazing. Before we let you go, do you have any parting words or advice for athletes coming up the ranks? Yeah, so I mean, for any athlete, for, for one, um, do your work and the same way that you approach your games and preparing for our games, 
If you plan to profit or want to profit off NIL, then do your homework the same way that you do when you're scouting your opponents. Build your plans, build your strategies. That's, that's the number one piece of advice. The second one is do not agree, do not sign, don't do anything to commit verbally or signing the line until you have somebody that knows how to read a contract. Because there's three words in these contracts that I have to give our in-house lawyers some credit for. That There are three words that you should look out for. The one is irrevocable, which means you can't get out of it. You can't take it back. Uh, number two is royalty free, meaning you're not going to see a cent of the profits that they make off your name, image, and likeness. And the third one is in perpetuity, AKA forever. So if those three things are within a contract, they're basically saying, if you sign and commit to these terms, we basically, you can't get out of them. We aren't going to pay you any of it besides what we agreed upon up front, and we got you forever. So. Uh, those are things to kind of think about. And then the last part I would give to them is think about as you're creating your strategy and being authentic to yourself is what is that ecosystem of your life that is so authentic to you? Because again, people can smell the transactional relationships. So when you're building out your brand strategy, what does it look like? Well, if I use myself as an example, I, I like fitness and health. Okay, so what falls under that category or umbrella that's authentic to me? What's my morning routine? Do I put collagen in my coffee or MCT oils? What does my lunch look like? How do I recover from workouts? The second one in there could be workouts. What am I doing? Do I have, do I have like six pack abs that everybody's inquiring about? That's something you can talk about. Uh, I'm also a dog mom. So those are things, training tips for our dog. What does our dog eat? That's a niche. These are all different niches or specialties that I know uniquely to me and my life that I can speak on. And once you know that, then end up creating a content calendar based around that so you can prepare. And then the last part that I would say in parting words is really, you know, there's so many upsides to this. You have to own your name, image, and likeness to do it. But also, please be aware of the mental, emotional, and physical uh, downsides of being so ingrained in just social media and trying to profit off of it. Because there's a lot that can happen when all you care about is social media and making money that you forget about the little things in life that bring you joy. Absolutely. Very wise words. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chelsea Sweetos. I hope I said that correct. Sweetos, you got it. Sweetos. Uh, co-founder of the Players Collective. Thank you very much for joining me on the business of NIL. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?